Thank you. You may be seated. God is good and all the time. My name is John, and I'm blessed to serve as the pastor here. And I'm going to invite you to find your way to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to continue our series, Sermon on the Mount. I believe the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached, and that's Jesus. And so maybe you haven't been here the last two weeks, and so let me give you just a quick review as we are on week three of our series. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, it consists of Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. Jesus had kind of just entered the public scene, and the the setting is, we see this in the end of chapter 4, that he is on a hillside, and he's speaking to his disciples, and a crowd also is listening. Thus the name Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus didn't get up and say, hey, the title of my message this morning is Sermon on the Mount, okay? We just happened to call it that years later because he was preaching a sermon on the mountainside, all right? Now, I'm going to give you a quick review. Two weeks ago, Pastor Nathan started and he went through Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. And really, we know these, we have again termed these later as the Beatitudes. And so, as we think about the Beatitudes, um, really, Nathan kind of honed in on a couple of thoughts that I want to share with you just as a way of review. And, and here's what he said The Beatitudes are about being not doing. The Beatitudes are about being, not doing. In other words, another way to say that might be that we, uh, when we think about religion, religion is about doing. What Jesus came to offer was a relationship, and it was about being. In other words, religion, and this again is kind of a recap from Nathan's message, that religion says this is what you must do. And Jesus says, this is what I have done. It's about being, not about doing. And in fact, I mentioned this in the first service, and I got a text from somebody that added to it. So I'll wait and tell you who gave it to me if you think it's good or not. Is that, is that fair? All right, so here it is. Beatitudes are about being, not doing. So have a be attitude, not a do attitude. It's good or not? Who says yes, it's good? All right, everybody all right? All right, so Chad Morton gave it to me, all right? So I was saving you, Chad. It's about being, not doing. And then last week, the title was, we want to pursue righteousness, but reality, what we were saying is, we want to pursue Jesus. Because the only way that I can be righteous is Christ in me. Because we, we see in the Old Testament, it says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Paul doubled down on that, and Apostle Paul said that he could pile all his righteousness together. It was a pile of trash. And so I can pursue righteousness, meaning I am going to pursue Christ, and Christ lives in and through me. And so we, uh, as Nathan said in the first week, The first beatitude is blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see the kingdom of God. They will see the kingdom of heaven. And and what Nathan said was that it seems as if the beatitudes are like stepping stones. You get one and you go to the next and one to the next. And so then you would think that the foundational stone then of this message is that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
And we understand that even last week when we talked about pursuing righteousness, that we can't get to God until we realize we can't get to God. Let me say that again because it sounds a little confusing. We cannot get to God until we realize we cannot get to God. Because a re- religion says if you do this and do this and do this and don't do this and don't do that and don't do that, then you can get to God. But what we saw last week, again, so first week was Matthew 1 through 12. Last week we picked it up in verse 13. And in verse 13 it seems like this transitional thought, uh, almost application from the first 12 verses or possibly introduction into the next part of the teaching. And that was that as followers of Jesus, you are to be salt and you are to be delight. And so as followers of Jesus, we're salt. We said we need to be salty. And as light, we need to be bright. And then in verse number 17 of chapter 5, what did Jesus say? He said, I came. Remember, he's just kind of starting his public ministry. He says, I came not to abolish or destroy the law. I came to fulfill the law. And then in verse 20, here's where it gets difficult. Because he says, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. So it seems what Jesus is saying, apart from grace, through faith, in Christ, the only way to get to God is to be perfect. That's what he says. Then he has these six statements, starting in verse number 21, and it says, You have heard it said, some of the statements he's quoting from the Ten Commandments, some of the six statements he's just quoting from Old Testament Scripture, and some of them he's quoting the scribes and Pharisees who misinterpreted the commandments and the Old Testament Scripture. But he says six times, you have heard it said, but I say unto you, remember he said, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder, but I say unto you, you should be angry. Uh Uh-oh. The standard is not don't murder. The standard is don't be angry. Then he says, you have heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say don't have lust in your heart. The standard is not an outward action, but an inward thought. So again, if we're going based on what Jesus said, and he doubles down on in verse number 48, because in verse number 48 he said, be perfect as my Father is perfect. So the standard to get to God is perfection. Anybody perfect in here? So apart from grace, through faith in Christ, the only way to get to God is to be perfect. But aren't you thankful for grace? We just sang that. Grace on top of grace. Grace is that I don't get what I deserve. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the grace of God in my life. So today we're going to continue this teaching. And as we think about the standards, we think about uh, thankful that God lived the standard. Remember what he said in verse 17, Matthew chapter 5. I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill the law. You, You see, Jesus came and he did live up to the standard. He was perfect. And because he was perfect, he could take my place. He could be the spotless, sinless Lamb of God, what Scripture says, who could take away the sins of the world. And if I place my faith in Jesus, 
it's, again, not about doing. I don't have to live up to the standard because I can't. Jesus lived up to the standard for me, and so I have to just surrender my life to Jesus. And he continues the teaching in Matthew chapter number 6. And as you're going to notice real quickly in Matthew chapter 6, there's this word that used three different times called hypocrite. And when we read Matthew chapter 6, and again, the whole Sermon on the Mount, it really points to the fact that we can't live up to the standard. Jesus did, so we need Jesus. It also points to the fact that Jesus is after not our religious activity, but he's after our heart. In other words, the heart of the matter is the heart of the matter. Jesus is pursuing your heart, not your actions. And so when I think about this, if you remember about six weeks ago, maybe a little less, we were in a series in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. And you remember what the name of that series was called? Guarded. It was that we are to guard our heart. And all throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the minor prophets, we see the prophet telling the people of Israel, you have all this religious activity, but your heart is far from me. In fact, we read Isaiah 29, 13 every week of that series. And so I want to pause for a moment and let's read Isaiah 29, 13. Look on the screen. Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me. And I find it interesting that the Old Testament ends with, with the Lord telling us, guard your heart. Don't just be about doing don't just do religious things. I, I, God wants your heart. And it's not something new. When they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Remember what he said? He quoted from Deuteronomy chapter number six. Love God with all, your, with all your heart. God has always been after our heart. It's always been about relationship, not about religion, not about rules. The law was always to point to the fact that we can't be good enough. We need a savior and so then jesus breaks the 400 years of silence from the old testament to the new testament and his seemingly first public proclamation the sermon on the mount and guess what he's talking about i don't want you to just do religious things i want your heart it's not about religion it's about a relationship Today, if you were in Connect Group earlier, you heard about the church at Laodicea and all those churches, they, le- they lost their first love. The church at Laodicea was lukewarm and what Jesus was trying to get the churches to wake up out of their religious activity because he was more worried, more concerned, more interested in, in their heart about being, not doing. So, let's read Matthew 6. We're going to read the first 18 verses. We're going to go ahead and read the Lord's prayers mentioned in here. And, and uh, week seven, we're going to get back to it. So we're not just necessarily skipping over it, but we're going, to get, we're going to come back to it. So Matthew chapter six, verse number one. Again, Jesus speaking. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. 
And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go in your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who a season secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard from their many words. Therefore do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask them. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil, excuse me, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to be men, uh, appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to, be, to men to be fasting, but your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And so as we dig into this, you say, as I've already mentioned three times, there's, you, you can see three sections here. Jesus is talking about how we serve, he's talking about how we pray, and he's talking about how we fast. And in every one of these instances, he's talking about hypocrites, about religiosity, people who just go through the, the motions. And it gives us very clearly what their heart is, what their motive is, right? So today, the title of our message is Motive Matters. And we think about what he's saying, what Jesus is saying is that if you do the right things with the, right heart, with the wrong hearts, you're a hypocrite. Now, what does it mean to be a hypocrite? I asked that question on Facebook this week, and I got a lot of answers. Have you ever heard someone who's not a churchgoer or maybe used to be a churchgoer say, well, I would go to church, but the church is filled with... Is that a true statement? Well, let me ask you a question. A hypocrite is someone who is fake. Okay, specifically, in this context, it would have been talking about someone who's in a play, and they have a mask. They have this mask, and they're playing a part. Okay? Now, doing the right things with the wrong motives, that's a hypocrite. Now, if I'm going to be completely transparent with you this morning... I would confess that I've been a hypocrite. Who else would say this morning, yep, that's me. I've been a hypocrite. All right? Hopefully you don't stay in that, but we've all been a hypocrite to some degree on some level at various times. So, people say, I don't want to go to church because the church is filled with, is that a true statement? Well, we all just raised our hand. 
It's not a good excuse, but it is true. They should still be in church because the reality is, let's go back to our original stepping stone of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And what does that mean? It means that I acknowledge that I can't be good enough. I acknowledge that, yeah, sometimes I am a hypocrite. I acknowledge that apart from God, I cannot be good. I acknowledge that there is no way for me to do enough church things to get to God. I can't give enough. I can't serve enough. I can't pray enough. I can't fast enough. In of myself, I am always going to be a hypocrite. And I need Jesus. Are you the same way? That's what it means to be poor in spirit, to acknowledge. Here's the problem with our message this morning, because we're, again, we're talking about being hypocrites. And when we look at a text like this, the easiest thing for us to do, maybe I should say the easiest thing for me to do, is as I read this, as I think through it, as I think, oh yeah, fake, 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 I think, man, If so-and-so, they should have been here today for church. They should have heard this message. Do you guys do that, or is it just me? Man, it's quiet in here. You guys are like, like no one will make eye contact with me right now. So as we walk through this this morning, Let's, let's let the, the scripture be what it's supposed to be, and that's a mirror to reveal our own sins. Because if we look at a passage of scripture and only think of those people, then we're being exactly what Jesus is talking about. We're being hypocritical. And so Jesus is first talking about serving. And I'll be honest, as for the last couple of weeks, it just, I, I grew up uh, reading, memorizing, only hearing the King James Version of the Bible. And in the King James Version, this first four verses talks about, it doesn't say do your charitable deeds to be seen by men. It says to give your alms not to be seen of men. And, and so my mind is thinking, it's been thinking, just giving. But then it says charitable deeds. And, and honestly, last night it hit me, wait, 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 wait. This is, way, this is way more than just about giving. And I, I started digging in a little more and it started talking about really what, what a better translation would have been, what in the context of that day would have been said, don't do your righteousness. Don't do your religious deeds. Don't do your religious duties just to be seen of men. Now, that does include giving, But it's more inclusive than just giving. And so what Jesus is saying, that I don't want you to serve just to be seen of men. Motives matter. And it's very clear in the scripture what what their motives were. Look what it says in verse number one. They did the charitable deeds to be seen by men. Verse two, they have their glory from men. Verse number five, they prayed that they may be seen of men. Verse number 16, they, they fasted that they may appear to men to be fasting. The motive for them was that people would think they were good. And they were fake. And they were hypocritical. Now, when we think about fake, we think about religious activity with bad motives means we're hypocritical, then we have to do some self-evaluation. Am I serving 
just to be seen of men? Do I volunteer once a week, once a month on the connection team just so people will know, hey, I'm pretty good around here? And our hearts. I've said this statement a lot, and I guess I should do some research. I don't know who said it, uh, uh, but I've been quoting it for years. And here's it is. The number one rule in life is not to fool yourself. But the easiest person to fool is yourself. My motives matter. Why do I come to church every week? Why do I serve? Because I don't, you realize Jesus reserved his harshest criticism and his most stern actions and words to religious people who were being hypocritical. And I don't want to be that. I think about praying. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Let me ask you that again. Do you believe in the power of prayer? And I would say to the degree that you believe in the power of prayer would be fleshed out in how often you pray. You know, about six months ago, we decided and felt like we want to offer more opportunity. We want to be a church that prays. We want to be a church known for praying. And so we, on Wednesdays, we open up the sanctuary, and you're welcome to come in from like 8.30 a.m. to really churches over on Wednesday night and just come in and pray. And there's music playing and just to seek God and to pray. And on Saturday morning from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m., we open up the sanctuary and just invite people to come in and pray. And you can just come sit anywhere in the sanctuary and just pray and seek God. And and, and then we're inviting you on 8.45 every Sunday morning, right through that door, that exit right there. There's a room, WC 101, and we lay hands on whoever is preaching that morning. And we just pray and ask God to move. And I say that we all believe in the power of prayer. But the degree we believe in the power of prayer will be fleshed out in how often we pray. And I'm excited that in the next few weeks or month or so, we're going to relaunch. Before, before COVID happened, we used to have a team that would pray during the worship service, during the preaching time, and we're going to start that back up. And so if you're interested in that, be looking for your inbox. You're going to get an email this week, all right, to let you know how to sign up because I believe in the, the power of prayer. And Jesus is not talking bad about public prayer. Again, it's about the motives, about the heart is why do I pray? Because motives matter. Then he talks about fasting. We don't talk much about fasting, do we? I think it's a hard discipline, isn't it? But you know, fasting in the scripture was an important part of what they did. And fasting in Scripture really is fasting from food. I I think you can apply it in different ways. Like you could fast from social media, which would probably be a great thing to do. You, You could fast from TV. You could fast from watching football for the next 19 weeks or whatever. I mean, you could fast from things. I'm not going to, but you could. Uh, You could fast. But in Scripture, it's talking about food. And why is it important that we fast from food? Because fasting from food reminds us, and this is something hard in our culture because food is so accessible to us. But it reminds us, so maybe skipping one meal a week, one day a week, one meal, one lunch could remind me that everything I have is from God. 
that maybe I could skip Wednesday lunch and come to the church and pray and just be reminded that God's in control and that God loves me and that God provides for me. And maybe it's, it's going out of your break room where you normally eat lunch or wherever you normally go lunch one day a week and you go to your car and you just seek God and you just pray and fasting is to remind us of our dependence on God that's when Jesus the model prayer we just read and give us our bread our daily bread for them that triggered a memory manna 40 years no food Jesus provided. And for us, it should trigger the same thing, that God, he is my provider. And so as we think about these things, there's three categories, right? You're going to serve, we're going to pray, and we're going to fast. So I want to just give you four takeaways this morning that we're going to use from words that continually appear in what we've just read. All right, the first one is the phrase, when you. All right, so this, this phrase, when you, is mentioned seven times in this text. Okay, here's what it says in verse number two. When you do your charitable deeds. Then in verse three, but when you do your charitable deeds. Verse five, when you pray. Verse six, when you pray. Verse seven, when you pray. You get the idea? Verse 16, when you fast. Verse 17, when you fast. So here's, here's the takeaway. God expects followers of Jesus, God expects you as a follower of Jesus to serve, to pray, and to fast. He doesn't say if you, he says when you. See, the actions weren't the problem, it was the motive that led to the action. It was the motive behind the action. And so Jesus is saying, listen, as a follower of Jesus, these are great disciplines. When you serve, when you pray, when you fast, when you give, when you go to church, when you, you fill in the blanks, when you do that, your heart, your motives matter. But it is an expectation that we as followers of Jesus. Now, this is something, you look at that list, that's easy for you to evaluate in your own life. The harder part, honestly, is to evaluate why you do the things you do. But you could easily look at that list and say, well, God expects me to serve, pray, and fast. Am I doing that? How well am I doing at those things? You could evaluate that pretty easily. The harder part's going to be digging a little deeper is check, check, check. Yeah, I do all those things. Now I've got I to understand why I do them. What's the motive? Or maybe you don't get to check, 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 and now you've got to find out why don't I. Well, let's do some self-evaluation. All right, the next um, word I want to think about, and it appears six times, is the word secret. So if you look at verse number four, it says here that, that we will do it in secret, and your father who sees in secret. Uh, then it goes on and talks about our father uh, when we pray, is in the secret place, and your Father who will see in the secret place. And then the last verse, 18, again talking about fasting, your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let me just make a statement about this as far as a takeaway. Our private life is greater than, is more important than our public life. And many times the reason you see leaders 
fall is because their public life has outpaced their private life. When I think of my own life, when you think of your life, that my private walk should precede my public work. That's what Jesus is saying. That these actions, serving and praying and fasting, should come out of my walk with God. Me pursuing righteousness, what we said last week. Another way we could term this is that my, my private worship should precede my public worship. That's why most often on Fridays I get on my Facebook and I remind you of three things. To plan, to prepare, and to pray for Sunday. I don't believe that you're going to get much out of worship or God's going to get much out of your worship publicly if you're not doing it privately. I think you got a mask on. And when I do that, I'm a hypocrite. Private life is greater than public life. All right, the next word is reward. This is a good word, right? Reward. Seven times it says reward, and your Father will reward you. In fact, it says that if you do these things with the wrong motive just to be seen of men, you'll get no reward from God. Your reward is from men. So who do you want the reward from? Men or God? You're going to have to make that decision. But this reward, over and over it says, and what does it say? It says, Again, we're talking about private life. The father who sees in secret himself will reward you. And it says it three times in talking about serving in these three categories. Serving, praying, fasting. If you, if you uh, serve in secret, God will reward you. If you serve or, or if you pray in secret, God will reward you. If you fast in secret, God will reward you. And does it say, look at it, what does it say? Does it say if you serve, pray, and fast in secret, God will reward you secretly? Is that what it says? What does it say? You can say it out loud. What does it say? Openly. Openly. In other words, God blesses the private life, but he will bless the private life publicly. Now, this is, this is a scary one, just to be honest with you. Because what are we trying to guard against? Bad motives. Like, I can't give, serve, and pray secretly just so God will reward me openly. it, it, It does go back to my heart. What are my motives? The fourth one. The word father, if you look in it, is used ten times in this passage. Father. In other words, relationship Number four, relationship is the motive. God wants us to serve him because we love him. And John wrote in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because, what does it say? He first loved us. Let's think about this. We, we're just saying, I, I hadn't thought about this till first service, the the words big on the screen, and it used the words, my orphan heart. In the song, uh, 
that we sang, I think the second song, I can't even remember the name of songs. Death was arrested, I think. My orphan heart. When those words went up the screen this morning, all of a sudden I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you, do you realize that God is the creator of all people? God is not the father of all people. Do you realize that? Because we're born in sin, separated from God. But when we give our life to Jesus, he becomes our father. In Ephesians, Paul talked about that. He says, you've gone from, he uses a lot of different word pictures. You've been an alien, now you've been a citizen. You were dead, you've been made alive. You were far away, you've been brought near. You were orphaned, but you've been adopted. And when I acknowledge when I become poor in spirit and I acknowledge that I cannot get to God until I acknowledge I cannot get to God, Jesus is the way and he willingly humbled himself as Paul wrote, became obedient to death, even death on the cross. And when I'm reminded daily of the price that was paid for my orphan heart to be made new. That's where the motive comes from. That God, my Father, Stephen, Stephen quoted Romans 5 very earlier, God demonstrated his love toward us that while I was a sinner, while I was orphaned, far off, dead, he died for me. And see, what happens when we get churchy, we forget the price that was paid for me to have eternal life. And I pray that the reminder for us today is that because of God's great love toward me, I want to serve him. I want to spend time in communion through prayer with him. And yeah, I'll sacrifice a meal here and there to be reminded of God's great grace.